We are going to be starting this, this new series for a few weeks. We're going to be looking at fasting as starving the flesh today, um, which is a biblical perspective on fasting. Next week, we'll be looking at fasting as prayer and kind of the connection there and how, what happens in the Bible when those connect. And then we're actually going to be looking at, um, in three weeks, fasting as solidarity with the poor, um, mainly coming from Isaiah chapter 58, where God is telling us the kind of fast that he loves. Um, so we'll be doing that. And uh, today we're kicking off fasting is starving the flesh. Doesn't that sound fun? Well, as we go into a new year, what are you hungry for? What's the goal of the new year? You want more joy, more peace, more fun, more money, more friends, more good, more crypto? Yeah? Do you want less COVID, less restrictions? You want to be less tired? You want less weight, less sugar, less carbs? Seems like that's kind of a way people go a lot of times. Um, but what are you hungry for? New Year's resolutions are fun, but we all know that they pale in comparison to the forces that work within us and outside of us. And one of those forces that we have to deal with that we're foolish if we don't pay attention to is called appetites. We have appetites. Our body is full of appetites. We hunger for things. We long for things. We desire things. This morning when you woke up, your body told you something. For those of you who like to eat early, you were saying, your body, when you woke up, was saying, give me some cereal. I need some eggs. I think there's bacon in the fridge. You should go get that. Cook that stuff. I mean, your, your body literally was telling you what it needs from the very, some of you, like my daughters, for some reason, they don't really do breakfast, which is weird to me, but they're just like, don't give me food. I don't want food. I don't want anything right now. Just leave me alone. That's what their stomachs are saying. Some of you are at an age where when you woke up, your body was telling you some things. Don't get out of bed. <laughs> do not do that. Your knees were like, nope, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't wear those shoes. Do not wear those shoes. You're going to regret it. Your back was saying, stop thinking you're 20. You're not 20. You haven't been 20 for 60 years. <laughs> don't do it. Your body's, telling you, your body's telling you what to do. Your body is trying to let you know. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but not only do we have these biological synapses and realities within us, that basically are telling us what to do and what not to do, we all know that there's, there's, there's other appetites that aren't you know, maybe as um, easy to describe or maybe not as safe. Appetites we have you know, for approval and affection and love that can get out of hand at times. Appetites for sex or appetites for things that are harmful to us or others. We have all kinds of appetites all the time alive in us. And what's crazy is our world today is telling us, hey, all appetites are good. If, you're, if, you're, if you want it, if you long for it, if you desire it, then you should, you should have it because that's true love and that's true freedom. And just so you know, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible actually says something very different. The Bible says that our appetites need to be submitted to the Lord and redeemed. Though not all of our appetites are bad, all of our appetites are prone to becoming bad if we're not careful. The way Tim Keller describes it is we have all of these good things, but all good things ultimately want to become ultimate things in our lives. And when that happens, they become idols and we're led astray. Our appetite for the Lord really does need to be stronger than all other appetites. 
And yet we are in this place where we live in a world and you have an experience, you have a past where people's appetites maybe have hurt you or wronged you or maybe your own appetites have led you to places that you have regrets now because of. Gluttony. It's a fun word, right? Everybody say gluttony. Don't you feel grosser now that you said that? (laughs) Gluttony is this word that's used to describe people who just can't stop eating. All they want to do is eat. They just find their comfort and their satisfaction and joy and pleasure in eating. They just want to eat all the time. America. (laughs) It's like the food industry, the foodie clubs. I mean, it's just the amount of pleasure that we receive from food, the amount of access we have to food, and what food has become in our society is really fascinating and really bizarre. And yet this is where we're at. So what can be done? We all realize we have appetites. We realize we have appetites that point us in the wrong directions. The Bible calls it the flesh or the sinful nature or the old man. No offense if you're old and male. But this is what the Bible calls it. And it's something within us until the day of glorification, until the day that we go be with Jesus, we have these appetites that are not all good. Some of them are disordered. And yet when we come to Christ by his grace, and it's so wonderful, we have a new reality inside of us, a new creation, a new spirit inside of us that's longing for the things of God, and there's this kind of battle going on. The way Jesus described it with his followers when he was on the night before he was going to the cross, as he was sweating great drops of blood because of the intensity of the spiritual battle that was going on inside of him. He asked his buddies, his friends, his disciples, hey, would you stay here and pray? And what'd they do? (sighs) Fell asleep. Three times he kept coming back to him. Hey, wake up. I need you to pray. (sighs) Mm, This rock is so comfortable. This ground in the garden of Gethsemane is so nice. I mean, whatever it was, they slept. And Jesus said of them this haunting, haunting phrase. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And in some ways, what he was saying is that the flesh is too strong, even though he was saying flesh is too weak, right? Does that make sense? That was the description that Jesus gave to the human condition of those who had been with Jesus in that way. And the truth is, if we're honest about our own selves today, we could say our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. When I was in high school, I, freshman year, I played uh, cornerback, not quarterback. I was too short, but now I'm tall, and the coach just never gave me a chance. <sighs> wounds, you know, hold wounds. Um, and I was cornerback, and then in freshman 2A football, all they really know how to do is run a sweep. Sweep right, sweep left, maybe reverse it every once in a while, sweep left, and then reverse to the right. And so my job was basically just to see the guy running around the edge and to, and to beat him, to get an angle, make sure and get him out of bounds before he could get past me and get to the end zone. And uh, I was okay. I'm not super fast, but uh, that, was, that was something I was, I was pretty good at. And whenever I think of this analogy, spirit is willing, flesh is weak, I, I go to that place where I just think of, you know, the person who wants to make the play, who wants to get to the sideline, cut the guy off, make sure he can't get past him, but he hasn't been doing the training, he hasn't been doing the discipline, he, his flesh might be too weak, or another way, his flesh is too flabby. And he just is like running, no matter how badly he wants to get there, if the other guy's done more work, the guy gets past him, and he's defeated. 
And a lot of us can feel in that space. Spirit is willing and flesh is weak. And so what we're gonna talk about is what can be done about that? What can be done about our appetites? What can be done about that human condition? And there's lots of different things that can be done, but one of them in particular is fasting. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual discipline among other spiritual disciplines. It's a spiritual practice among other spiritual practices, but it's one that's, that we're gonna focus on as a church for a bit here because there's great rewards on the other side of it. And so before we jump into that too much, um, and we're gonna learn from Jesus about fasting, we're gonna learn from um, you know, church history, some, some people throughout church history about fasting, we're gonna have our own little time to kind of be um, a little, little time of contemplation and individually just kind of journaling with the Lord, um, where we want the Lord to meet us, what we're gonna do for a fast today. Um, but before we do that, I wanna tell you about some traps, some pitfalls that you can fall into in regards to fasting um, so that none of us will fall into them or um, if we do fall into them in these next 21 days, you'll, you'll realize it and be like, oh, I should climb up out of that pit, you know, and get back on track. So here's some pitfalls. The first one is fasting does not make God love you more. You got to hear this. There is no way that God can love you more than he does right now. I'm going to say it again because I know you don't believe it because I'm having trouble believing it too. There is absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you more than he loves you right now. That is the gospel truth. Do I need to say it again? I only got two amens. I'll say it in some different ways. <laughs> but that is the truth. I, and so there's a tendency in us to think, maybe if I fast more, God will love me more or give me more attention or my prayers will get through a little better. That is a lie from the devil. That is not a biblical teaching on fasting or any other spiritual practice. The Bible makes it very clear that God loves you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knit you together exactly the way you are, tall, short, big, little, whatever it might be. God was like, check this one out. You see this one? Look at this one. You see the hair on this one? You see the feet on this one? I love that toe. Look at that toe. It's all crooked. He formed you just the way you are. And he delights in every part of you. Not only that, but he loves you so much that he sent his son to die a horrific death and receive all the full wrath of sin upon him because he loves you so much and wants to be with you so much. There is nothing more he can do to prove his love to you. He gave you everything. And he wants you to live in his love. He wants you to live life as if you were loved by the creator of the universe. And it's hard, it's difficult. We're all trying to kind of grow into that thing. But fasting does not increase his attention for us. It does not make our prayers more powerful. It doesn't make him love us anymore. He cannot do that. He cannot do that. The only thing that you can do to get closer to God's love is just receive it. Is just say yes to Jesus and let him begin to love you as some of us in this room are learning how to do. The second thing, the second pitfall is fasting does not control God. Sometimes as Christians, especially when we're new Christians, we get into this idea that, you know, if we really do what, what God wants us to do, then, then we'll get what, God, what we want. Not what God wants, we'll get what we want. And it's true, and I think God works with that and is okay with that for a season, but as he's trying to mature us and grow us, we've got to realize that God is not some genie that if we rub the lamp, then God will come out and give us what we want. 
In fact, most of the spiritual practices, including prayer, is more about us learning to want the things that God wants instead of having God get us what we want because even our wants need to be redeemed. And so fasting is not rubbing the lamp to get the genie to do what you want. But instead, fasting is kind of creating this space where you and God can begin to mingle your thoughts together, where your hearts become united. It's a space where you're just saying, God, okay, I'm gonna not, when I, I used to get hungry, I used to go eat food. But now when I'm hungry, I'm going to not eat food. I'm just gonna hunger for you. Used to be a few times a day on the regular, I would stop and I would eat. But now instead, I'm gonna a few times a day on the regular, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna just try and encounter you. I'm just gonna create space for you to come and do whatever you want in this time. So it's not controlling. It's actually allowing God to control us. And then this last thing is the idea of self-mastery. This is where uh, it, it might be a little confusing to you because all the different religions, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, even like in atheism, people who don't believe in God, they still will have a practice of fasting, obviously, because there's a lot of good benefits from fasting in, in, in the right way. But what we're talking about is, is, is different. The, the Christian reality of fasting is different because we're not looking to get self-mastery. That's what all of these other you know, religions preach, that you fast so that you can become more in control of your own body and appetites and desires, all those things. In fact, like Buddhism, the goal of Buddhism is to basically escape all earthly feelings, sentiments, emotions, appetites completely. To, to that nirvana is I'm, I'm now completely free of everything earthly and human. And though that sounds like it might be cool, that's super, super selfish self-centered because the God made the world and there's so much good in this world like we said the whole earth is filled with his glory and so we don't want to you know completely remove ourselves from all aspects of reality so it's not self-mastery we're after it's it's that we'll be mastered by the spirit by the spirit of the living God that 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 will be the one that that guides us and rules us more so than even our own desires and then we'll talk a little bit about that as we look at what Jesus did in his life. So those are the pitfalls um, that we gotta watch out for. And now let's look at Jesus and figure out what, what, what we should be doing in regards to fasting. Uh, Matthew chapter four, verse one through three, if you wanna grab a Bible and turn there. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's a wild verse. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's a miserable verse. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So basically, Jesus is, you know, right at the beginning of his ministry. He's 30 years old now. And uh, he's just been baptized. And he's about to go public with what he was called to do. And as soon as he's baptized, it says the spirit led him into the wilderness where he was there for 40 days and 40 nights without eating. And he was hungry. He was very hungry. I've never fasted for 40 days, but my brother did one time. And he was hungry. I kind of count it like, well, I guess I don't need to fast for 40 days and 40 nights because I'm so close to someone that did. So it just seems like it sort of counts. Right? I don't know if that's true, but... Um, I've never been close to 40 days 
or 40 nights. Well, 40 nights, I could probably say I've fasted 40 nights while I'm sleeping, if that counts. But uh, definitely not in a row. Um, But here Jesus was fasting, and he was fasting in preparation for temptation. And again, I don't know exactly how all of this went down, but I do know that Jesus was using fasting as a way to starve the flesh. He was using fasting as a way to, to um, limit and diminish his appetites for earth, earthly things because he knew temptation was coming. And so first of all, we need to realize that Jesus fasted. And as followers of Jesus, if Jesus did it, We're supposed to do it. If Jesus saw the benefit of it, if Jesus realized it was something important, Jesus is the example of the believer, then for us, then we need to know that the fasting is part of our following of Christ as well. And not only that, but Jesus did use it specifically to prepare for temptation. And I, 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 in the Bible, you have different things. In my life, you have different reasons why people have fasted. You, you have times where people fasted when there was a decision coming and they wanted discernment. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. You had times where people would fast because of, you know, something horrific happened and they just, they didn't know what to do. They were out of sorts and so they fasted. But then there have been times in my life where all of a sudden I just felt like the Spirit was saying, hey, this would be a good time for you to, you know, go without and uh, I haven't necessarily known why, but I just take those times and I do. I just say, okay, well, I'm not gonna eat until you say, go for it again. And sometimes it's only a day. Sometimes it's been a few days. Maybe one time it's been longer than that. Again, I'm not good at fasting. I hate it. I'm not friends with fasting. We're not friends. We don't follow each other on Facebook or anything. But it's like, I, but, I, but I also, I mean, but I, it's something that I, it happens multiple times a year where I just sense the Spirit saying, okay, check this out. Or if I am in a battle with some sort of temptation, it's like, okay, I'm gonna go without for a season. And so this is definitely a way that Jesus did it. Another thing to look at in Jesus's life, John chapter four, verse 31 through 32. Um, it says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And just because they weren't getting it, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now this is coming right after Jesus had interacted with a woman at a well. Um, he came to the well and he asked the woman for a drink and his disciples went into town to get food. And he ends up having this interaction with this woman where basically God the Father reveals to him some of the things going on in her life. He's able to share the love of God with her. She has her whole life kind of changed. She's blown away. She ends up going into town to tell everybody about this amazing encounter she had with the prophet, with, with the Messiah. Um, and this whole town ends up having this cool revival deal. And so in the midst of all this, the disciples come back from getting food and they're like, here, Jesus, here's some food. We know you gotta be hungry because we were so hungry and we got food and you didn't get any food. And Jesus does, he says, he says I don't need any food. Um, I have food you know not of, which is like classic Jesus line, right? And they're like, oh, what's he got? <laughs> where's he getting this? Is this someone, where is he, like, where's he getting this food? And he's like, okay, check it out. My food is to do the will of God. Like I'm at a place where I'm so satisfied right now because I got to see God meet someone. I got to preach the good news about the kingdom of heaven and someone received it that I am not hungry for anything earthly at all right now. 
And it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't eat. He probably ate later on that day. After he kind of made this point, they went a little longer, maybe let it linger a little bit. He's like, okay, what food did you have? And And he probably ate. But he was wanting to make this point that there is a reality that we have got to always kind of subject our hunger, even with something as natural as just food, to the reality of hungering to do the will of God, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And that's something that fasting can help us with. And then in Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching his disciples about a lot of different things. Um, and he's teaching them about fasting. He says, moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with sad faces, for they disfigure their faces that they may be seen by men to be fasting. Most certainly I tell you that they have received their reward. So a couple things here. Jesus says, when you fast, so he's expecting his disciples to fast. So if we're followers of Christ, then he would be expecting us to, from time to time, when it's appropriate, to fast. And then also he expects us to get it wrong, (laughs) which is kind of comforting in some ways. He's like, when you fast, you're gonna wanna do this weird thing. Don't do that, you know? And essentially what I feel like he's saying here is the fasting is between you and the Father. It's between you and God. And even though we're doing like kind of corporate fasting, calling everybody to it, it's still supposed to be something for you and God. And ultimately to kind of create a a greater intimacy. Ultimately everything we're doing is supposed to, is, is to cause us to be more satisfied with who God is and what he brings into our life. And that's what this is all about. And so we can't be, you know, oh man, it's been so brutal. Or, wow, I've been fasting so long. I'm so good at it and amazing at fasting. And oh yeah, you're probably eating all the time, aren't you? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just kind of, it's funny that that's a little bit of what we do. We take every good thing and we just kind of twist it a little weird in our humanity. So Jesus is saying, watch out for that. So in summary, Jesus fasted. Jesus fasted to help him fight off the devil and not be controlled by his appetites. Jesus was more hungry to do the will of God than the will of his belly. Jesus expected his followers to fast. Jesus expected his followers to be tempted to use fasting to gain attention or approval of men. So it's a little bit of the way Jesus um, would have us go about fasting. And, uh, and so now I just kind of want to take us through a little bit of church history, some of the the people that have gone before us and interacted with the scriptures and interacted with fasting and some of the things that they've taught about fasting um, to kind of frame you know, our minds, frame our, our focus as we go into 21 days of this, but also into about five minutes in just a minute where we're gonna kind of start to answer, well, I'll put some questions up just basically about like when and, and, and where are you gonna fast? Um, and then what are you hoping that Jesus will meet you you know, at, what space are you on? What do you need discernment for? Some of these type of questions. We're just gonna have time to journal a little bit, talk a little bit, and set ourselves on the right, right, right path as we go into this, um, this season of fasting. So first of all, we're gonna talk from Augustine. Augustine was a brilliant mind and follower of Christ. And uh, he says, fasting cleanses the soul. It raises the mind. It subjects one's flesh to the spirit. It renders the heart contrite and humble. It scatters the clouds of concupiscence. It quenches the fire of lust and kindles the true light of chastity. Enter again into yourself. One of the things I think is interesting there is he renders the heart contrite and humble. And again, this is not an American tendency. This is not what America wants. You know, like we want to be the, you know, proud and bold and brave and all these things. And and yet there's something about the scriptures that's always calling us 
to a humble and contrite heart. Jesus himself described himself as meek and lowly. And there's some, there's some sort of connection. Remember, the blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who, who, who need comfort. This, this is, there's a blessing there. And so we as followers, we want to enter into that space. Even though it's uncomfortable, we want the blessing that's there, the fellowship of suffering with our Lord. And then Thomas, of, Thomas Aquinas, he lays three things out which would kind of follow the path that we're taking. He says, first, in order to bridle the lusts of the flesh, Wherefore, the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in fasting and in chastity, since fasting is the guardian of chastity, for lust is cooled by abstinence in meat and drink. So there really is a reality to fasting as starving the flesh. It's diminishing our connection and our hunger for things of the world. Secondly, we have recourse to fasting in order that the mind may arise more freely to the contemplation of heavenly things. That's, that's an important thing going into a new year, that our minds would get to a place where we're, we're more freely contemplating heavenly things. We're gonna talk a little bit about that um, next week. Hence, it's related to Daniel, Daniel 10, that he received a re revelation from God after fasting for three weeks. That's why we picked three weeks as well. Thirdly, in order to satisfy for sins, wherefore it is written, be converted to me with all your heart in fasting and in weeping and in mourning, this is another reality that St. Thomas Aquinas wanted us to understand is that somehow fasting kind of just cultivates a heart of repentance in our souls. In light of that, this guy named David Kakish, I think it's, it's kind of interesting and, and, and it's, it, it kind of gets us further into the space. But he says, so we fast because our sin and the toll it takes on others. We fast because as long as we're breathing, our sanctification is not yet complete. We fast because natural disasters ravish our world. We fast because people die of starvation and thirst, lacking the necessities of life. We fast when cancer tears through our bodies and those of our loved ones. We fast because the entire cosmos is groaning for redemption. And we fast because Christ has not yet completed the work that he began in the manger. We fast in some ways to kind of like lament our state of being in between, lament that we haven't yet reached this glorification. In some ways we're fasting to say, Jesus, come quickly. Please come and satisfy as only you can. We don't wanna be satisfied with this world. We want what you bring. Scott McKnight, who's a little more modern day, he sees the benefits of fasting as intimacy with God, freedom from bad habits, and aid to spiritual discernment, and a means of empathizing with the plight of the poor and those suffering injustices. And in a couple weeks, we'll talk more fully about that. And then Richard Foster, he says, more than any other single spiritual discipline or practice, fasting reveals the things that control us. So, sorry. <laughs> Fasting, it just basically, you know, brings the junk to the surface. But once it's in the surface, then, you know, through the kindness and grace and mercy of our Lord, it can be done away with. And we can grow in that sanctification. It's a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. And lastly, and probably leastly, Kanye. <laughs> I 
I think he's got an interesting thing to say here. Hearkening back to that first sin that had to do with food, with Adam and Eve. He says, switch my, switch my attitude. I'm so, I'm so radical. All these people mad at dude. This for who it mattered to. What if Eve made apple juice? You gonna do what Adam do? Or say, baby, let's put this back on the tree because we got everything we need. And I like that. It's fasting gets us into that space where when the temptation comes, so Eve came and what if Adam would have been like, hey, baby, <laughs> we don't need to eat from this tree. We don't need this. We got everything we need in our relationship with the Father. And that's what we're trying to get our hearts to that space where when the temptation comes, we can say, we got everything we need. I am fully and supremely satisfied with the love of God that constrains me. That is the hope and goal of all of our lives. That's the hope and goal of every spiritual discipline. So ultimately, just like we learned about prophecy and it's the way that heaven breaks into our earthly thoughts and perspectives, fasting is another way for heaven to break in as we put our appetites in their place and create space for the bread of life, the giver of all the good things to nourish and satisfy our souls as only he can. And that's what we're hungry for. And that's why we choose to go without so that Jesus can come and do whatever he wants. So it really is about our intimacy with Jesus.